0: Good morning our scripture lesson this morning comes from matthew chapter 7 verses 24 through 29 everyone then who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man who built his house on rock the rain fell the floods came and the winds blew and beat on the house but it did not fall because it had been founded on rock and everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them would be like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against the house and it fell and great was its fall. Now when Jesus had finished saying these things the crowds were astonished at his teaching for he taught them as one having authority and not as their scribes. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks
1: Thank you, Carl, for our scripture lesson this morning, and thank you, uh, praise band, for leading us in our worship and uh, meeting the challenge of of software, not working computers, crashing and things, but, you know, the devil tries to get his hand in things, but we're going to have church anyway. God is good, and all the time, God is good. Amen. As we have heard God's word, let's pause now for a moment of prayer and asking God's blessings and enabling us to hear His word, let's pray. God, we get this place to worship you. This is your word to your people. It is your voice that we seek, your spirit that enables us. So we ask God that your Holy Spirit come, open our hearts and our minds, fill us, renew us, change us. We yield ourselves, God, to that potter's wheel where your hands take and you mold us, shaping us in the people that you call us to be. So come, Holy Spirit, may the words of my mouth, the meditations of all of us in this place, be acceptable, pleasing in accordance with your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Today we are concluding a series of sermons that we've been doing over the last several weeks on Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Over the last several weeks, I'm trying to think about how many weeks it's been. We've been doing this almost since September, but it's, it's, uh, we've been exploring this sermon because it's the most important sermon that Jesus ever preached. It's here where he lays out his vision for what our lives are supposed to look like as his followers. And it's significant, I think, to note that how he ends his sermon. He ends his sermon with this parable of the wise and the foolish builders. Throughout this long day where Jesus has been preaching to the crowds, he's been teaching them, they've been listening to his words with amazement and and awe. But Jesus now warns them that it's not enough just to listen to my words. It's never enough just to listen to the words of Jesus. If they're really going to have any impact upon our lives, we have to do more than just hear. We have to do the words. We have to put them into action. We have to let them be integrated and incorporate them into our daily living. And that's what Jesus expects of us. That's actually the purpose behind all of Jesus' teaching. Whenever Jesus taught, he tried to lead people to a point of decision. Jesus wasn't interested in just entertaining the crowds. He wasn't interested in just giving a lot of information out there. What Jesus was interested in, his style of preaching, really designed to um, lead people to a point of decision. He way he presented things, he did it in such a way that it caused you to have to take an action. You have to make a choice. And that's what you see going on in our text for this morning. <clears throat> At the conclusion of his Sermon on the Mount, <clears throat> he paints really four pictures for us. And again, he's trying to lead us to that making a decision, making a choice with what are you going to do with the things that I've taught you now? The first of these is found in Matthew chapter 7, verse 13, where Jesus says, enter through the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the road is easy that leads to destruction. And there are many who take it. The, gar- na- the gate is narrow and the road is hard that leads to life. And there are few who find it. Now, in all of these stories, Jesus always gives you two objects. And you have to choose between them. And here Jesus is saying, in light of all that I've taught you today, <clears throat> there consider there's, there's, a, there's a two gates. There's a narrow gate and it leads to the way of life. And then there's another gate that is wide and it leads to destruction which gate are you going to choose the truth is we really have no choice other than to make a decision and he, the way that jesus presents his uh teachings even if you don't make a decision you're still making a decision of course jesus calls us he wants us to choose that narrow gate that leads to life but ultimately the choice is ours to make the second image he gives us that is, is that of two fruit trees One is a good tree that produces good fruit. The other is a bad tree that produces bad fruit. And once again, he's trying to lead us to a point of decision. How do you want your life to be determined? Are you going to live like a good tree that produces good fruit? or Are you going to live like a bad tree that produces bad fruit? You have to choose one or the other. Which one is it going to be? And then the third image that he gives us is a choice between two destinies. Here he's really saying that my teachings have real implications, not just in this life, but in the life to come for all eternity. There are always two destinations, two destinies that Jesus presents in his teachings. There is the kingdom of heaven and there's this kingdom that we create for ourselves here on earth by doing what we want to do. So Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, is going to be able to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Only those who choose to do my will. So which destiny are you going to choose? So we have these three pictures that he gives us. There is a gate to choose. There's a tree to choose. And there's a destiny to choose. And then he he brings his uh, sermon to an amazing conclusion by telling this story about two builders who build their houses on different foundations. One is built on the rock, other is built in the sand. And if you were to enter these houses, you would look around and say, well, they look pretty well the same. In fact, from the onsi- outside, they look virtually the same. But Jesus says that there's a big difference between them. One is built on the foundation of rock, solid rock, and the other is built on the foundation of shifting sands. Now, I don't know a lot about construction, <clears throat> but over the last few years I have learned a lot about the importance of and the, uh, the difference between having a good foundation for your building and a uh, not so good foundation for your building. I mean, as a church, we've been dealing with this issue uh, here as it relates to this fellowship hall, this building here. It was not built on a very good foundation, and we've been dealing with the consequences of that ever since. Um, but over the years, I've had the opportunity to, to be a part of building projects in various churches, and I've seen how they built a building from the ground up, and the first thing they do is they clear the property, but then they bring in a lot of dirt, and they pack it, and they they try to get the right elevation for that and and then they start drilling several holes in the ground and I was told that these are piers they can be anywhere from uh, 18 to 25 inches in diameter they can be anywhere from 8 to 25 feet deep Uh, one builder told me that these are argued to fail which means that they're dug to the point where they hit solid foundation they can't drill anymore and uh you know (laughs) I Uh, the steel rebar then is all put together and it's stuck down in these holes and they pour concrete in. All that's just part of the foundation that they use to to put on the, for these buildings to be erected. I mean, if a building is going to handle all of the, the bricks and mortar and steel and all that stuff that goes into a, a building, it's going to have to be built on a solid foundation. And I think most of us get this analogy that Jesus is using here. I mean, even Jesus understood this. After all, he was a stonemason, a carpenter. His family was in the the construction business probably. And the people to whom Jesus was uh, teaching this to, those who were gathered around him on that that, uh, day, they understood the significance of having a house built on rock foundation as opposed to sand. I mean, if you were to go to the Holy Land today, and by the way, you do have that opportunity. (laughs) We're actually taking a trip. We're trying to get a group together to take a trip in June, and you'll actually get to see the very place where Jesus preached this Sermon on the Mount. So I hope that you can go with us for that. But uh, if you go to the Holy Land today, you will see that the terrain is a mixture of rocky ground and and, uh, sandy ground. I mean, if you live uh, around the Sea of Galilee, then you find that most people have to do a little extra work in order to have a solid foundation there because most of the soil is made up of sand from the surrounding sea. And those who live in the hill country, there's plenty of rocks to build their houses upon there. But most of the people in ancient uh, Palestine, they didn't want to build their houses in the hill country with the rocks because that meant you had to grade the slope to get it level to put your house on. You had to haul materials up the hill. Water had to be toted in. And and the winter winds are kind of cold in the hill country as opposed to uh, the other place. So most people just followed the the path of least resistance. They built their homes around the riverbeds and the the, uh, seashore. Uh, the scenery, of course, is more pleasant there. It's like an oasis. Uh, the, the water, it's, it's more readily available to you. And, and the house, it's sheltered from the cold winds. You kind of nestle down below the, the hills there. And it's, it's, it's a nice place to live. Of course, flooding is a danger in that area. Um, but most of the times, the mountain streams, they just trickle down pleasantly into the sea or to the riverbed. Now, every once in a while, I mean, on rare occasions, perhaps once in a generation, you have this hundred-year flood, but like that's never going to happen, right? <clears throat> <laughs> yeah, we know a little bit about that, don't we? <clears throat> when that happens, the torrential rains come down, and, and the flash flood happens, and it washes away everything and floods their homes. And That's the image that Jesus was drawing upon in Matthew 7. He's, he's drawing this upon life experiences, the people in that day had. So they had. They truly understood what Jesus was talking about. And I think most of us can. But the question we have before us today is, what does that really mean for us? What are the implications of this teaching for our lives today? Well, first of all, I think it reminds us that we are all involved in building, the building of our lives, the building of our homes. So let me ask you the question, what code are you using to build your life upon? If you know anything about building buildings, you know that there are building codes involved. And, uh, you know, if you talk about uh, building codes, you ask a certain person who's in construction or anybody who's in architecture, uh, engineering, or anything like that, they'll tell you that building codes are a very complex and confusing uh, body of regulations. Building codes are written and they're rewritten and they're interpreted by manufacturers, by builders, by architects, engineers, uh, fire marshals, and inspectors, and on down the list goes. And then to make it even more complicated is that there's no common language. There's no universal building code in the United States that everybody can use as a guide. So in some communities, you have one unique uh, set of building codes. In another community, you may not have, to have any building codes at all. And I think that's really a true picture of what life for us is like. We, will live, we live in a day when there's so many different codes that you can use to determine how you're going to build your life. Anyway, as Christians, uh, we actually do have a, a common standard, a, 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 a uniform building code, and it's, it's this. It's, it's the Bible. Now, I recognize that in the world that we live in today, um, this can be a turnoff. I mean, there's a lot of people who today say that uh, don't use the Bible as your basis for authority because people in today's world don't consider this authoritative anymore. It's just an old book, got a lot of old stories built on myths and legends, Um, it really has no relevance for our life today. It's got some, you know, ultimate truths in it, but don't base your authority upon this. There are even some well-known preachers today who are no longer quoting from the Bible because they say it's a surefire way to turn the younger generation off because they no longer see it as authoritative. They just see it as an ancient uh, group of set of literatures that really not relevant to our world today. Well, that's the subject for another sermon. But as Christians, we believe that this is the living Word of God to us. We believe that within it is the code that is necessary for what it takes to build our lives upon a solid, sure foundation. And and I would suggest that if you're looking for the best code to build your life upon, then you start reading in Matthew's Gospel. Start at chapter 5 and read to the end of chapter 7, because that's where you're going to find this sermon that Jesus preaches called the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, If if you're going to build a home that can withstand the storms, Jesus says you have to build it on a solid foundation. And there are no words that are more solid in which to build our lives upon than these words you find in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. It's been called a lot of things. It's been called the Christian Magna Charta. It's been called the Christian Manifesto. It's been called God's Design for Life, the Rules for Christian Living. In this sermon, it contains the Beatitudes, the Lord's Prayer, the golden rule. It deals with murder, adultery, divorce, oaths, revenge, forgiveness, worry, anxiety. It gives instructions on prayer, on giving to the poor, on fasting and judging others and actually saving money. Just listen to this list of everything that is included, just a highlight of the things that are included in this sermon that have been echoing through the centuries of Jesus' teaching. You find in this sermon the words, blessed, blessed. Are the poor in spirit. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Let your yes be yes. And your no be no. If someone strikes you on the cheek. Turn the other cheek. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. If you give. Do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Our father. You art in heaven. Where your treasure is. There your heart will be also. You cannot serve God and mammon. Seek first the kingdom of God and all the things that you're looking for will be given to you. Do not worry about tomorrow. for Tomorrow will worry for itself. Do not judge. Or you too will be judged. Do not throw your pearls before the swine. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Do unto others what you would have them do unto you. Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. Beware, there are wolves and sheep clothing. By your fruit you will be recognized. Is it any wonder that after Jesus finished preaching that sermon that day, Matthew says the crowd we amazed at his teachings. And it's no coincidence that at the end of his sermon, he says, the wise people build their lives upon the solid rock. The foolish build their houses upon the sand. The truth is you and I are building our lives every day. Uh, we may try to place responsibility or blame on our external circumstances in our lives that have caused us to be who we are. But the truth is, our, the, the final analysis, we determine who we are going to be, the kind of people we're going to be. Every day, we either are consciously or unconsciously building. We're involved in the building of our lives. So the crucial question that needs to be asked is, are we building our lives upon these? these uh, the wisdom of Jesus that's taught in this sermon Or are we trying to build our lives in the shifting sands of the values of this world? The wise person, Jesus says, is the one who anchors their life in the word of God, the rock. Secondly, everyone has to occupy the house that they build. Uh, You know, some property you can lease or you can rent, but not when it comes to your soul. Uh, The only person that you truly have to live with is yourself. Edwin Markham writes uh, an appropriate story for this point, and it's a story you may have heard before, but it bears telling again. It's called um, a little story called The Builder, and he talks about a rich man who wanted to help someone, and he... Noticed a carpenter that had worked for him. He noticed the conditions that the carpenter was living in with his family. It was a large family, and it was just deplorable conditions. And so the rich man calls for the carpenter to come to his house, and he placed in his hands the blueprints for a, a new home. And he says, I want you to build this house. I want you to build it beautifully and make it very sturdy. I mean, it, it, the, use the best materials, regardless of what it costs. I, I want you to build it right according to this, this code of specifications. And he then informed him, I'm going to be going away for an extended period of time, but when I come back, I want the house built. Now, seeing the chance to make a huge profit, the carpenter decided he would cut corners. He um, skimped on materials. He hired cheap labor at the lowest wages he could find, inexperienced labor. He covered the mistakes with paint and with putty and all those other kind of things you can use to cover mistakes. So when the rich man comes back, um, the carpenter hands him the keys and says, here's your house. I built it just according to the instructions you gave me. And the guy said, the rich man said, great. Well, here's the keys back because this is now your home. You and your family are going to live in it. Over the years, Markham said, the builder often regretted having cheated himself. You and I are building our houses, our lives, either out of good or shoddy material. We either are building it according to code or we're cutting corners. Jesus says, build your house wisely because you're going to be given the keys and you're going to have to live with whatever you create. The Apostle Paul understood this. He admonished the Christians in Corinth with these words. He says, let every man heed how he should build. The poet R.L. Sharp. Uh, worded it this way. He said, Isn't it strange that princes and kings and clowns that caper in sawdust rings and common people like you and me are builders for eternity? Each is given a bag of tools, a shapeless mass, a book of rules, and each must make a stumbling block or a stepping stone. Thirdly, this parable reminds us that the real test comes When the storms come upon us. Why is a code important, you would ask? Jesus says, because one day the storms are going to come upon you and your life is going to be tested. Notice Jesus makes it clear here in this parable that the storms came to both of the houses. The storm was indiscriminate. It came to both of the houses at that time. Neither was spared. And I think that's a truth that bears repeating again and again because we still have a lot of people who are trying to hold on to that ancient fallacy that religion is some kind of divine insurance policy against trouble in our lives. That's not how it works. Jesus makes the point the storm came upon both houses. It rains on the just and the unjust, he says. But, of course, I don't have to tell you that. (laughs) I mean, The reality of Jesus' teaching is something I think all of us know here because you've experienced those kind of storms. You know what it's like to have the storms of life crash against you and shatter your life, uh, whether that's something you deal with in the serious an illness or the loss of a loved one or marital problems or family problems or uh, troubles at your job, or loss of employment, financial problems. Most of us have been there. We know how devastating, how tragic and frightening the storms life can be. If you've never experienced one of those storms in your life, then I sincerely congratulate you, but get ready because it's coming. You will not be spared. No one, good or evil, is spared of the storms of life. In Jesus' story, the storm came, and it beat against both houses, but the results were very different. I I love to go fishing, and I love to go down the Gulf and fish around the Gulf, and um, I usually fish around Shell Beach and that area, but when Hurricane Katrina came through, it just devastated a lot of the area where I like to go fishing. And um, so I waited a while to go back fishing. And after they started to kind of rebuild a little bit and opened up, the guides got back in there. I I took a fishing trip. And and as we were going down, I I noticed um, one of the houses that I remember being there was still standing and everything around it was gone. And so I asked the guide, I said, how is it that that house is standing and all the other houses are not? He said, well, you know, that guy lost his home in the last hurricane. So when he rebuilt, he used plans and he used materials that he was told would withstand a hurricane. He was told that if you build your house according to this code, uh, it'll withstand a hurricane. And it did. Let me ask you the question. How is your house weathering the storms of life? Every house is tested. The difference... Is not determined by the weather. It's determined by the foundation upon which your life is anchored. Now, I've seen a lot of people in the time of crisis um, try to get religion. They start coming back to church, they try to turn back to God, and they try to get religion. But you know, it doesn't work that way. I mean, it's a foolish person who says they can start building, constructing a proper foundation for their life when the storms are hitting them and when the floodwaters are rising. When you're in the midst of the storm, it's too late then. The time to build that good foundation is in those calm times, in the ordinary day-to-day events of life. C.S. Lewis, who was one of the prominent theologians and writers of our lifetime, understood this. He encountered this truth in his book, A Grief Observed, he tells of a great storm that came to his life when his wife died. He experienced just devastating loneliness to the extent that it almost debilitated him. And it was in the midst of that dark time of grief that C.S. Lewis turned to God and he remembered the things that he had been proclaiming all of his life. He used those inner resources that God had put within him that was equipping him all of his life And he wrote, you never know how much you believe anything until it's truth or falsehood becomes a matter of life or death to you. I realized that if my house collapsed with this one mighty blow, it was indeed a house of cards. C.S. Lewis was able to endure that storm in his life because he built his house upon the foundation and the assurance of God's word and his promises. Jesus ends his story by giving us a rather somber warning. He says, there was another house it was built upon the sand and it could not withstand the storm and great was the fall of it. I think this stands as a solemn warning to all those who would laughingly uh, think that they can just live their life any way they want to and there's never going to be a day of accounting. Jesus assures us their will. As we said in this sermon, Jesus' words were meant to confront us. They were meant to challenge us. They were meant to try to force us to ask the question of ourselves what, are we, what am I going to do now with what I have been told by Jesus? What am I going to do with these things that Jesus has said? And so, as we bring the sermon to a close, I want to ask you is your desire to be a more deeply committed Christian? Are you going to take the wisdom? that you've listened to in these sermons of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount and use them as the foundation to build your life? Are you going to enter through the narrow gate? Are you going to still keep traveling that broad road that leads to destruction? Will your life be like a tree that produces good fruit, or will it be like a tree that produces bad fruit? Which destiny will you choose? The kingdom of heaven? Or is it simply a culmination of what you can accumulate here on this earth? Are you going to build your house on the rock? Or on the shifting sands? In the tradition of Jesus' teachings, the choice is now up to us. Let's pray. You know, God, we hear these words and they're hard for us to hear. But I think They're so much harder to put into practice. And we confess today, God, that as we listen to your teachings, we realize that we have fallen short. Uh, We don't always live in the way you teach us to. In fact, it's impossible for us to live this way consistently every day, God. We have our good moments and we have lots of bad moments and we're sorry for that, Lord. But we claim your promise this day that this is not something we do on our own. It is the work of your Holy Spirit and your grace within us. So God, forgive us. Cleanse us by your grace. Anoint us, empower us with your Holy Spirit that we can leave this place living as you call us to be. Fulfilling your vision that we might be a light to this world for you. May it be so, God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.